It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Woke up this morning, flipped on the TV, and I said, well, I don't know what I was planning to do today, but... All domestic flights have been grounded by the FAA until at least 9 Eastern. And it didn't sound good. Uh, There were the usual caveats as I looked at the coverage. You know, no evidence of cyber attack found yet. Uh, But nevertheless, the idea that none of these planes would be able to take off seemed kind of ominous. And yet, after uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg looking into it, briefing President Biden, they lifted the ground stop at 9 Eastern, and things seem to be resuming or returning to normal. It doesn't make you wonder what is going on with the FAA's technology that this could happen. I mean, given that it was early in the morning and it's not a very heavy travel period right now, a few thousand flights were affected. Uh, You know, the same that might be affected by a horrible weather uh, in half of the country. But it just does remind you that uh, things can go wrong awfully quickly. So I am really pissed off, and I'm not going to hide it here. I'm one of these people who, anytime uh, there's a prompt to say, do you want to upgrade to this, or do you want the newest version of that? I say, no, hell no. I don't want it because I don't trust the techies who design these things not to make it ridiculously complicated. They write these apps with, you know, 5,000 variations for themselves and they expect the average person to be able to, you know, play along. So let me just boil this down. I'm really mad at Apple and the iPhone for this. Um, I did have to upgrade my, you know, iOS system in order to get a certain app to work. So uh, against my better judgment, I said, all right, we'll do it. Well, there's one thing I use to record the podcast, actually. And it was so simple before. You would just go to settings and you would see a thing and it said, do not disturb. And either you would put it on or off. And the reason this is a big deal is I've learned through painful trial and error that if somebody calls me or there's a certain kind of app that breaks in while I'm recording the words that I am speaking to you now, it can interrupt the recording. And I keep going on, and I'm like, oh, I got all these great things to say, right? Hey, what do you hear about number three? And meanwhile, (laughs) it's not being recorded. So I've learned to check. But the point is, it was so sick. Yes, within that, there were 4,700 variations. Did you want it to allow uh, notifications between 4 and 7 p.m. on alternate Thursdays? You could do that. But basically, it was on and off. So I do the upgrade, and now I can't just do the on and off. It changed the name to something called Focus. And again, you know, you go deep into the menus, and you see, um, okay, you can uh, exempt certain people, allow their calls to come through. You can exempt nobody. You can exempt people on weekends. You can exempt certain apps. You can exempt nobody. And all I wanted is just to be able to say yes or no. But it's hard to find. It's hard to call up. I think I've now finally figured it out. But the ridiculous amount of time I've spent on this, when it worked before, just fine. You put it on, you put it off. But that wasn't good enough. 
for the techies, techies who designed these iPhones. We're going to give you so many options, you're going to choke on it. And I've just wasted an absurd amount of time when I really like the on-off. You know, it's kind of like in your house, right? you got a light switch. Yes, you can have a smart home, and you can set the temperature and, and lighting to go off at a certain time. That's great. I'm not criticizing anybody who does that. But I like on and off, okay? It worked before. You know the old stupid saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, you've heard enough of me on this. Um, Prince Harry's book. We spent some time on yesterday. We talked about the nuclear reaction in the UK and how much he revealed in that book about, you know, dirty laundry is a phrase that doesn't really begin to sum it up. And it turns out, according to the publisher, Penguin Random House, it is the fastest selling nonfiction book of all time. Like ever. 400,000 copies sold, uh, what, in the first day? And this includes um, hardcover, ebook, audio. So it's a, it's a grand figure. So all these people were like, why are you spending so much time? And it's just like, I'm sick of Harry. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, obviously, somebody's not sick of it. Of course, they're buying the book. The only book that apparently has done better in its first day is not Harry of Sussex. It's Harry Potter. But that's fiction. And so more power to that Harry. But when it comes to nonfiction, you know, this thing is a publishing phenomenon. I guess Penguin Random House will make a lot of money as well as The Prince. Um, you remember the whole case where in the Trump organization, the CFO, a guy named Alan Weisselberg, was going to flip on Donald and then bring the whole empire crashing down? Well, he did agree to testify. This is the guy who was charged with evading taxes on $1.7 million in company perks. And it had to do with, you know, a luxury car as well as other um, uh, perks, um, even tuition for his grandkids and so forth. So because he cooperated, uh, the 75-year-old Weisselberg has now just gotten his sentence uh, yesterday. And he's got a five-month prison term. Good behavior, three months. So that's why witnesses cooperate. But he did it without really bringing Donald Trump down. So all of these, like, oh, if only we could find out from an insider what was really going on. Anyway, Weiselberg will be a free man again fairly soon, although he does have to serve his time on Rikers Island. Story number one, the Biden classified documents. Now, I talked about this somewhat yesterday. And of course, it's just exploded. And the president, who is in Mexico, in a kind of a joint meeting with the presidents of Mexico and Canada, Prime Minister of Canada, obviously, um, was asked about this by reporters who wanted to know what did he know and when did he know it as far as any classified documents that he took away from his time as vice president. Remember, if you haven't been following this, um, Biden's team discovered in a box, in an envelope that said Biden personal, um, about 10 documents that were marked classified. Uh, this is at the Penn Biden Center, University of Pennsylvania. It's a think tank here in D.C. So the president's asked about it. He says, I was briefed about this discovery 
and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what was in the documents. My lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. So the Biden administration notified the National Archives of this discovery, turned over the material, says it's fully cooperating. Uh, Biden went on to say when asked by reporters, uh, people know I take classified documents, classified information seriously. Um, He went on to say that the material was found by lawyers in a box, in a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And there's one report from CNN saying um, that these involve intelligence briefings having to do with Ukraine and a couple of other countries. So how this got mixed up with the other stuff is hard to fathom. So I turned to Andy McCarthy of National Review, who I consider to be an honest voice on these matters, because naturally uh, you've got all these folks saying, oh, big time investigation of Donald Trump for his documents at Mar-a-Lago. You didn't see Biden's house raided, did you? And clearly President Trump can't be charged now because President Biden is probably not going to be prosecuted. That is now in the hands, thanks to Merrick Garland, of a Trump-appointed prosecutor. So McCarthy uh, begins his piece by saying, you know, around Thanksgiving, Biden's lawyers were had to report that he had mishandled classified documents. Well, it's true, because they shouldn't have been there. They're the property of the United States government. It's a double whammy. But by the way, why didn't they disclose it at the time? Why did they wait until after the midterms? Why did they wait until after the House speakership battle? It smells bad. You know, how do they explain that? I haven't even heard a plausible explanation. Okay. So McCarthy goes on to say that the fact that they were found at this Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement at the University of Pennsylvania, but it's the office here in D.C., it's um, an Ivy League school that this University of Pennsylvania center in downtown Washington was established after raising, wait for it, $54 million in donations from China. This began in 2014 when Biden was Obama's vice president and when Hunter was in these sort of talks with folks from Beijing and elsewhere to try to make money. And he was doing buck raking. So around the time that Hunter uh, had a ride on Air Force Two with his father, the VP, uh, who was ostensibly there to, you know, sort of steer the Obama administration's China policy. At the time, Xi Jinping's regime somehow happened to see the good sense writes McCarthy, in paying off the Biden family. Whether you think paying off is too strong or not, obviously these were donations. Okay, so Andy goes on to say, despite Donald Trump's inevitable inability to contain his glee over the good fortune this Biden misadventure represents for him, what Biden appears to have done pales in comparison to Trump's classified information transgressions. And as I have been saying... Those who are saying, oh, it's exactly the same, are just wrong. I mean, the facts don't support that. Even Andy McCarthy says it, but you'll see where he ends up. 
And that's why this is an interesting thing to read. So, yes, Biden reported this, or his team reported this. And yet, even though the Biden people notified the archives, fully cooperated, turned things over, the contrast is, you know, with the Trump documents at Mar-a-Lago, far more documents, I think it's about 160 total, um, the archives uh, repeatedly having to ask the Trump team, and even under subpoena, to turn the stuff over. And you have to look at the fact that they said, okay, we've given you everything, and then the FBI goes down, raids Mar-a-Lago, and finds 100 more classified documents. The challenge of prosecuting Trump in this matter has never been legal, says Andy McCarthy. There's a slam-dunk case there with obstruction of justice, and you name it. But now we get into the political atmosphere. And I agree with this. It makes it much, much harder. Um, It had been that the strongest uh, argument against Trump being prosecuted, and I've never been convinced that he would be prosecuted on this, but we shall see, um, is what Hillary Clinton did with the private server and the State Department records and all that. But if Trump were to be prosecuted, despite what Hillary Clinton did and despite what Joe Biden himself did, the press would support such a prosecution, says Andy McCarthy. Biden needs to keep his base animated, but he has to weigh that need for political risks involving charging Trump. Not that it's up to Joe Biden, by the way. Biden Justice Department has appointed a special counsel to investigate Trump, even though there is no real conflict of interest. Yes, there is a blatant conflict of interest in Biden's Justice Department subordinates investigating Biden himself. And Garland has not appointed a special counsel to avoid that conflict. And there you have it. It just looks bad. It smells bad. It makes it harder to charge Trump. Donald Trump could be a lucky guy here because the political problems inherent in indicting him over mishandling classified documents have now greatly increased for the Biden administration. But he's not out of the woods. Okay. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Story number two has to do with the new Republican congressional chairman in the House now that the Kevin McCarthy speakership battle is over. Before I get to that, I just want to touch a little bit more my interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene, because it made an unbelievable amount of news. And I know that there are a lot of people who don't like him with her, who think that she sold out and therefore she was going to get attacked. And then by extension, I would get attacked. It's just the nature of the business. Uh, If you interview somebody who others think, you know, should be in jail or something, then it's like, why did you ask this? And why didn't you ask that? And shouldn't you have... Um, you know, taken out a club and and beaten her. Well, I find a couple things. One is, you know, if Marjorie Taylor Greene was worthy of a long, long piece in the New York Times Magazine by Robert Draper a few months ago about how she was now trying to be part of the leadership team, working with Kevin McCarthy, not just a fringe character, not just throwing bombs, 
um, then I think she's worthy of, you know, seven or eight minutes of television time on my show. And look, I know all the things that she said in the past, uh, Jewish space lasers and all that. I'm not defending any of that. I said to her, didn't this come during a period when you were a follower of QAnon? Conspiracy theories. And she tried to brush it off. But she just said, yeah, I got sucked into things on the internet like a lot of people. And I also asked her, you know, was Joe Biden, is Joe Biden a legitimately elected president? And she came back at me, oh, that's a silly question. Of course he's president. Well, that's not what I asked. She didn't want to repeat the words legitimately elect elected. And I knew what was going on. But people could see that. Like, viewers are smart. They can see that she didn't want to go there. At the time, I had maybe 30 seconds left. I'd used up all my extra time. And I wanted to get in one more question on, on something else. So you make these judgments on the fly. So now, you know, there's a piece out there that says, uh, you know, uh, I personally am responsible for normalizing her. And she's this horrible human being. And how can we even take her seriously? And this goes back to the people who said that, Donald Trump should never be interviewed because of uh, all the things that he has done, or that any Republican who won't say that the 2020 election wasn't stolen shouldn't be interviewed, should not get airtime. And I just don't buy that. I think you learn more, the viewers learn more, from people, from having an interview with somebody who you may completely disagree with, who you may think is peddling the big lie, or whatever, because if you just, just say, okay, we're not even going to engage this person, I, I think that, in effect, then you're giving them a pass. I think McCarthy should be interviewed. I think Jim George should be interviewed. All these people are wielding power now in the new Congress. And I think journalists need to be fair, but I think they need to interview them. So, you know, people want to take a shot at me. Nobody at Fox asked me to do this. I just came up with the idea on my own, put in the request. She said yes. And the interview, which is online, and you're welcome to take a look at it. And you can decide for yourself. You know, every interview I do, I go back and I say, well, if only I had speeded up here and asked this other question. Sure, because you, you know, television operates according to the tyranny of time. Had I had 20 minutes, I could have done a lot more. Uh, but, you know, people are free to take their shots. That's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. Anyway, as far as part of story number two... Of the 17 members, this is the Huffington Post, the liberal Huffington Post, um, who have been tapped for committee chairs, 11 voted to reject the results of the 2020 election. I even asked Marjorie Taylor Greene about that. You, you said that one of the people who's on the other side of this McCarthy battle, he didn't do what the base wanted. He wouldn't even object on January 6th. And that led into the question about legitimately elected. Okay, so we have uh, Glenn Thompson on agriculture, Mike Rogers on armed services. He appears to have uh, taken himself uh, out of contention on another committee because of the way that he almost, he did lose his temper. He's no question about that and almost tackled uh, Matt Gates, as it turns out. Jody Arrington for budget, Virginia Fox for education, Mark Green, Homeland Security, Jim Jordan for the Judiciary Committee. Roger Williams, Small Business, Sam Graves, Transportation and Infrastructure, Mike Boast, uh, Veterans, Jason Smith, Ways and Means. Ways and Means is a hugely important committee. Frank Lucas, Science, Space, and Tech. And, by the way, Kevin McCarthy, Elise Stefanik, and Steve Scalise all voted to reject the 2020 results. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be talked about. And, I, and you know, Kevin McCarthy was quite vocal 
against Donald Trump's role in that until he decided to go down to Mar-a-Lago and be uh, an ally of the former president for precisely what happened in the past few days, which is that he was able to become the Speaker of the House. All right, number three. I've talked about before, we actually talked about it at the end of Media Buzz with Harold Ford. Um, ESPN's coverage, sometimes painful to watch, sometimes awkward, of what happened in that game that ended up getting canceled, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, when Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed from cardiac arrest. And it, this delay went on for 66 minutes, and Joe Buck of ESPN kept saying, well, the game is going to resume because that's what he was told. Well, now ESPN contradicts, in an online piece, the NFL's handling of this. Because the NFL's position is, and we never can say, of course we wouldn't even dream of bringing this game back, but that's not what was communicated to ESPN. An unnamed league official telling Don Van Natta, longtime investigative reporter who's now with ESPN, the Lord himself could come down and we're not going to play again. The league did not cancel that game. The Bills and the Bengals canceled that game. This unnamed source telling the sports network that Goodell and um, a top league official, Troy Vincent, executive VP, um, might have had the final decision, but it was clear that neither team would play. They were going back and forth. The ambulance left the field, said this unnamed official, and it was crystal clear from everybody's perspective that we could not play. The only chaos was coming from the command center. And there was even floated the idea, according to this story, about keeping the Bills in Cincinnati overnight and you could continue the game the next day, which was almost instantly shot down, according to this piece. So um, Troy Vincent getting a lot of criticism here. Uh, here's a, a, a quote I have to clean up a little bit. The league screws this S up because Troy Vincent screws this up. That's the wrong person in the wrong position at the absolute wrong time. He wants to be the hero, but he will never take accountability. And Joe Buck stood by his report. He said, look, if what I said on national TV with the eyes of the world watching was wrong in the view of the league, I would have been corrected immediately. We were on the air for another 40 minutes and no one corrected the idea that the game would resume. No one. And this is why I thought we never quite got the full story until now. The reason the league said, oh, we never even considered it because the league looked bad because it was considering resuming the game. And the fact is, there's even a quote in here about even if we were told we were, here it is. If they would have said, this is the unnamed source again, if you leave, you're forfeiting the game, we're still leaving. In other words, they just were not in any mental condition to go out and start tackling people and playing football with the life of DeMar Hamlin on the line. And it's great now because he's recovered and he's been taken off oxygen and it's had a happy ending. But that was not clear at the time that he would be able to even survive a trip to the hospital. He had to have his heart restarted twice, once on the field and once when they got to the hospital. So happy ending, but I don't. I still feel we didn't get the full story, haven't gotten the full story from the league, but ESPN, to its credit, because it, you know ESPN's revenues depend a lot on televising football games. To run this investigative piece, I think, was an absolute public service. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story four has to do with the IRS, which is another big, fat target 
for the House Republicans. And Republican Congressman Mike Johnson was on Jake Tapper's show, The Lead, on CNN. And it was, was noted that Janet Yellen, she's the Treasury chief, directed the IRS not to use the new funding passed in one of the Biden bills to increase audits on Americans le- making less than 400 k a year. So Congressman Johnson comes on and he says, oh, you know, the intent of hiring all these new agents would have the effect of going after hardworking families and small businesses. That is not a Republican talking point, he says. That comes from the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is a nonpartisan group. Uh, Tapper, I'm just saying, like, why not just be honest about what the bill would actually do? Johnson, I am honest. Tapper, you said 87,000 IRS agents. That's not what it is. Johnson, Jake, that's exactly what it is. That is the Treasury's own published report in 2021 uh, over a 10-year period. They wanted to add 86,800 Tapper says, employees, not agents, employees. There are a lot of people who are just staff. There are not seasoned agents who can conduct audits. Johnson, Jake, you know what all these positions are going to be? Have you seen the analysis? Tapper, you're saying every one of the 86,000 plus is going to be an IRS agent? I'm not saying every one of them, the congressman says. I'm saying a large percentage. Anyway, it went on and on and on. So the Washington Post fact checker, uh, written by Glenn Kessler, takes on this move by the GOP to defund 87,000 new IRS agents, even though the claim is that there won't be 87,000 new IRS agents, and that however many are actually agents, the the Treasury will actually lose money because the fewer audits they are, lose money under the Republicans' approach, the fewer audits there are, the less money can be saved by the taxpayers. In other words, if people who you might consider rich, let's just say over 400 k don't have to pay their fair share, then you have to pay more. It's just the way taxes work. So the fact-checking piece in the Washington Post goes on to say the IRS has about 79,000 employees, down from about 95,000 a decade ago. But without new funding, IRS staffing would fall to about 60,000 in 10 years, a 50% cut. Uh, Treasury officials say that, you know, the agency should grow 25 to 30%. I know I'm throwing out a lot of numbers here. Um, Once the hiring is done. And and by the way, you know, as will be the case with a lot of House Republican bills, and as was the case with House Democratic bills, when the GOP controlled the Senate, none of this is getting through. They're messaging bills because, you know, they don't have, they don't control the Senate, they don't control the White House. So without getting further down to the weeds, the Washington Post ticks off previous fact checks by other outlets. PolitiFact, in August, mostly false. The 87,000 figure is flawed because not all those employees would work in IRS enforcement. Factcheck.org, August, false claim. Not all the new hires will be agents. Time Magazine, August, not true. Trump allies are attacking Biden for a plan to hire 87,000 new IRS agents that doesn't exist. Reuters, August, false. The IRS will not be hiring 87,000 armed agents. Okay, so now they're gun-wielding. USA Today, October, false. They will not be special. Majority of the hires will not be special agents. New York Times, November, misleading. The additional funding for the IRS will allow the agency to modernize its infrastructure and replace its aging workforce. So unless you think that every single one of those organizations 
is so biased that they've all reached the same conclusion and it's false, that's a lot of fact checkers who seem to be coming to the same conclusion. Let me get to number five now. You've heard me talk about ChatGPT and it's this incredible AI tool that anybody can now use for free and how it can write things that are pretty darn good. So uh, at the new global organization Semaphore, there's a new story about Microsoft investing $10 billion in OpenAI. OpenAI is the parent company which, by the way, was Elon Musk was part of this, that created this AI chatbot, ChatGPT, said, okay, you write a story about this from the point of view of a Wall Street analyst. That's the part that interests me. Here we go. It was a typical weekday morning on Wall Street. Traders and analysts bustled about, checking their screens and huddling in conference rooms. Suddenly, the news broke. Microsoft was investing $10 billion in OpenAI, the leading artificial intelligence research lab. As a top analyst at a major investment firm, I was immediately intrigued. I had been following OpenAI's progress for years. Uh, their work on national language processing, machine learning, and robotics had the potential to revolutionize industries, but $10 billion is a huge sum, even for a company like Microsoft. Why were they making such a massive investment? I quickly did some research and dug deeper into the details. Turned out Microsoft and OpenAI have been working together for some time, collaborating on various projects, sharing resources. This uh, investment was essentially a formalization of that partisanship, uh, excuse me, that uh, partnership. Um, but there was more to it than that. As I delve further into the news, I realized that this investment was about much more than just research. It was about positioning. Microsoft, like many other tech giants, was laser-focused on the future of AI. They knew that the companies that controlled the technology would have a significant advantage in the years to come. By investing in open AI, they were positioning themselves at the forefront of this revolution. As I shared my analysis with colleagues and clients, the excitement was palpable. This was a game-changing move, one that would have ripple effects beyond the tech industry. <laughs> so, first of all, it's just pretty good from a point of view of a Wall Street analyst. Second of all, it manages to be totally pro-Microsoft in terms of this $10 billion investment. And third, how does the computer get to write like that? You're asking it to say, okay, do this in the voice of. You know, it's one thing to do it in the voice of a TV anchor or something. You're saying, do it in the voice of a Wall Street analyst. Anyway, more reason for uh, those of us who make our living writing and talking to be a little bit nervous. But look, it's, you know, it's like being against uh, the advent of the Model T after the horse and buggy era. It's happening. It's going to happen. It is changing the world. And I'm just trying to keep you on top of it. Hey, before we go, I'll give you a bonus story here from Variety having to do with um, some plans at CNN. Uh, so CNN, which was a product of, which is now owned by the joint venture Warner Brothers and Discovery, is going to roll out a new on-air format that will take many of its people out of the usual position of sitting behind desks and instead aim to generate more energy on camera by having some of the network's real-time news gathering on full display, according to CNN chairman Chris Licht. He telling, he's telling Variety, the goal we have is to take an incredible news gathering operation 
that has so much information coming in at all hours and from all over the world, and in an authentic way, reflect that energy on air. Our anchors and journalists and some of the excitement and energy you saw from people sitting on the set and, and reporting as they were anchoring uh, is what he wants. Few details, but people familiar with the discussions say CNN might consider a newsroom headquarters concept that features multiple people on screen at once. Many of them not sitting behind a traditional desk. Well, I just want to say this. I mean, it's great. I'm all for it. There was some mockery online because this approach was said to copy what Fox News did more than 15 years ago of not having everybody sitting at a desk. But you don't even have to compare it to Fox. You can compare it to CNN itself. When the Situation Room was launched, that show was still anchored by Wolf Blitzer, um, the reason it was called the Situation Room and there was a lot of sort of quick camera cuts and so forth was because, you know, Wolf would walk over to somebody in the newsroom and say, what are you working on? They say, well, I'm trying to nail down this story for the next hour. And it was an innovative concept at the time. Bottom line is you can have desks, you cannot have desks. You can have uh, an open air sort of news market or you can have people sitting in an air-conditioned studio. I don't think it matters all that much. I think what matters is the quality of the reporting, the personality of the journalists, uh, whether you're breaking news, whether you're seen as balanced, whether you're seen as overly partisan, whether the viewers can make the distinction between the partisan stuff and the straight news stuff. So, you know, it makes for a good little inside-the-industry piece to say, yeah, Chris Lick, he's throwing out all the desks and, you know, the newsroom is going to be the headquarters. You know, why do you think there are, in, and this, I remember when this happened at the Washington Post, I mean, it's been an evolution that's now taking place. Why do you think every news organization now has a camera or cameras sitting in its newsroom so when its people come on, if they're not at CNN or Fox or somewhere, but they're coming on from their home office, New York Times, wherever, or home as well, but then you always run into the problem with, you know, the dog comes in or the baby comes in or whatever, um, you're seeing the actual newsroom because it's interesting to look at. You know, you're listening to what the person who's sitting in that high back chair is saying, but meanwhile, you got reporters, you know, handling copy or walking over to the TV station or just maybe drinking coffee, whatever. Um, it takes, it, it is kind of a magic formula, but in the end, I don't think it matters all that much. I really think it turns on the journalists, whether you enjoy watching these journalists, whether you enjoy watching these commentators, whether they're breaking news, and how they are perceived as, is this a network? And this would be true in local TV too, which is fair. Or is this a network that is one-sided? Or is it a mixture? So with all of that, really appreciate your listening. You know, Apple iTunes is a good place to subscribe uh, to this podcast because you uh, don't have to see the ads. And you can always leave us a comment there too. Good, bad, or indifferent. With that, I'm going to sign off and work on my writing because I've got to deal with these AI competitors now. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.